Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. It says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Tonight I want to preach to you about the key to influence the key to influence. Could you pray with me right now that God would have his way in this place? Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would help me, God, as your messenger to speak with authority and confidence, not of myself, Lord, but of you, Jesus. You're able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we could ask or think according to the power that worketh within us. Let your power be at work in this place, God. Let your word have free course and let it fall on good ground, Jesus. We give you praise and we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. The key to influence. The serpent convinced the woman that God was depriving them of something. The serpent's voice was killing trust. And killing trust killed influence. When the voice of the enemy gets into your mind, he will start to get you to question God. And while he does that, he starts to kill trust. And when he kills trust, he kills the influence of God's word in your life, the voice of God. It all comes down to trust. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 10 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy navel and marrow to thy bones. Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father the son in whom he delighteth. Solomon is showing the benefits of trusting in God. It's not in vain, but there's a purpose behind it. Not in this world only, but in the world to come when we trust him. Trust him with your finances and God's blessings will be on you. Don't be weary when he corrects you. Trust his love because it's all for your benefit. I remember when my parents would whip me when I was a kid, and I never deserved it. Never. I didn't feel love. I didn't feel any love in it. I thought it was hate. I remember going into my, in the bathroom, just admiring the, the whelps that I had on me. I thought, I can't even tell some of the stories. I'm talking about on mine and I was a, just a bad child. I needed a whole lot more than I got, I promise you. But now that I have three kids of my own, I see things a little different. 
trust me, if you spend a little time at all with my little three-year-old, God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> when we're young and immature, we fail to see the importance of discipline. We think we know more. I remember thinking to myself, there is no need for that. That is unnecessary. At some point, we have to learn to trust those who are over us. They see things that we don't see. The devil wants you to question authority. I mean, after I've, since I've been called into the ministry, I've had questions about my dad and, and things he's done. And, but I learned to see if I trust him. He's always proven to be right. I'm not saying he's perfect, but he has my best interest. He has my best interest. The devil wants you to question authority. He wants you to question one another in the church because questions lead to deception and deception kills influence. This is why God hates hypocrisy. I want to talk about two specific sins that kill trust. The first is hypocrisy. We see hypocrisy everywhere in the world. You don't have to look very far to see it. We see it in the government. Not just Democrats, but in Republicans. In both parties, there's hypocrisy. We see it in businesses. And sadly, we see it in the church. There was a survey that asked young people why they didn't go back to church and the reason varied. Almost every respondent cited life changes as one reason they stopped going to church or pastor-related reasons caused them to leave. And a third of those people said they felt churches were hypocritical or judgmental. God, don't let it be said of us. Don't let it be said of us. Come on, we call ourselves the church. We call ourselves the body of Christ. We can't have hypocrisy. I understand some people are just looking for an excuse to leave the church, but at the same time, there's an overwhelming amount of hypocrisy in the religious world today. Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. God hates hypocrisy because it kills trust. It kills trust. Jesus was constantly battling against it in the religious world. He instructed them not to pray to appear spiritual. Key word there, appear. He instructed them not to fast to appear spiritual. He instructed them not to give to appear spiritual. It's not that he doesn't like spirituality, that he doesn't believe in it. It's that he hates those that appear spiritual, but inside are full of corruption. Hallelujah. He hates it because it destroys people's trust in him. It destroys people's trust in his word. The number two thing that God hates is gossip. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. And if you're wondering who I'm preaching to tonight, if that's you, looking over your shoulder, thinking, oh, I know who he's talking to now. I'm talking to you, not them. <laughs> Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. These six things does the Lord hate. Yea, seven 
are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift and running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. That's what God hates. Why does he hate it? Because it kills trust in one another. This is probably one of the most challenging things humanity struggles with. I told my dad it's very difficult not to vent to others when you're in leadership. It's difficult because you see the weaknesses of humanity. You see their shortcomings. You see it all. So it's very difficult to bottle that up and just give it to God and not vent to others and share with others. But when we go share others' faults, it plants seeds of mistrust. It kills trust. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Confess your faults one to another. And pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Who in their right mind wants to obey that scripture? Who wants to say, I'm struggling with this? He didn't say confess to the pastor. He didn't say confess to the priest. He said confess to one another. I'm guessing there was a very strong culture of trust in the early church. Brother Carson, come on up here and help me. I love this guy right here. But who wants to be the guy to go to Brother Carson and say, Hey, man, I'm struggling with some stuff right now. I'm really having anger problems. I hit my wife three or four times this week. I need you to pray with me. You wouldn't tell anybody, would you? Oh, let's just make it a little more awkward. Hey, bro. I got a porn addiction that I'm struggling with. I need you to pray with me about this. You're not going to tell anybody, are you? Okay. Just wondering if I can trust you or not. Who wants to be that guy? But that was the culture of the early church. But why was it the culture of the early church? You know why I believe? You can go sit down. I believe it was because they had confidence in one another. That they wouldn't go and turn their back on them and go share it with the world. They wouldn't post it on social media. That they wouldn't go venting to their friends and telling. Because if there is not a culture of trust, then there will never be a culture of confession. There will never be a culture of confession. We will never be willing to be broken and be vulnerable with one another if we can't trust one another. Hey, sister, I'm struggling with jealousy in my life. Please pray with me. Who wants to be that person? Nobody wants to be that person, but God wants to help us to get to that place where we can be a place of trust. Brother Stephen preached about a culture of consecration last week. I'm preaching about a culture of trust, of trust. Hallelujah. I want to be a man that people can trust, that they can be confident in, because when there's trust, there's influence. Hallelujah. I've noticed people usually confess when the damage is done. 
after it's too late, after everything's fallen apart in their life, that's when they go and say, man, I need help with this. But then the whole world knows. But we could keep ourselves from this type of tragedy if we could be vulnerable and be open with one another and we could be a place of trust a place of unity, a place of harmony. God wants there to be unity in the church. He wants there to be unity in the body. Come on. Hallelujah. Galatians chapter 6 verse 1 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual. This is the qualification for being spiritual. Restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Here's what the Lord showed me. The culture of hypocrisy has killed the culture of trust. The culture of gossip has killed the culture of trust. We've got to learn to sow seeds of trust. Seeds of trust. Hallelujah. What will happen when we start sharing each other's faults? We'll walk into church and we'll be looking over our shoulders and there will be no liberty. There will be no freedom of ministry in the body because we're thinking, I can't trust them to pray for me. I can't trust them to minister to me because the trust has been broken by the culture of gossip. The culture of gossip has killed the culture of trust. We've got to learn to sow seeds of trust. People die within themselves because they fear of the way others will perceive them. How many people literally sit on a pew for year after year after year and they're headed straight for the pits of hell, but they could be helped if there was a culture of trust where they could say, I can, I can have confidence that they're not going to betray me, that I can go to them and I can give my faults to them and share with them and they'll pray for me and I could be delivered out of the mess that I'm in. It was at because of the times there was a pastor and his wife that shared their testimony of suffering. Actually, I believe they were evangelizing. I'm not sure if they were actually pastoring, but they had evangelized for years. And while he was evangelizing, he was struggling so much with mental health issues, with depression. Come to find out he had some kind of, um, some kind of syndrome. I can't think of what it's called right now, but it was very severe that was messing with him and was really hindering their marriage. And they said, we decided to recover loudly so others don't die silently. God is looking for people that can be vulnerable, but there can be no vulnerability if there is not a culture of trust in the church. We can't follow after the world in the way that they do things, in the way they go about their business. We've got to be a culture of trust. We've got to be a culture of love, culture of humility, vulnerability. Young people, be careful how you talk about others to your friends. Seeds of mistrust have lifelong consequences. Gossip kills trust. Trust kills the influence of the body. It handicaps the body of Christ. Hallelujah. There's some things that God is wanting to do in this church, 
But in order for this to happen, this church has to become one mind. We have to think the way he wants us to think. We have to look at others the way he wants us to look at others. We have to build this culture of trust. You don't have to look very hard to find faults in the body. You don't have to look. I've got plenty of them. If you're looking for some fault, just look right here, and you will find something to get upset about. But you not only hurt yourself, you kill others' trust. I feel like I need to minister to some people here. Some of you are so afraid so afraid to just come out from under whatever it is that's holding you back. You don't want to be real. You don't want to be open because you are scared that the people will betray you. But I'll come to tell you right now in this place that if you will be open, that if you will be vulnerable, there's going to be a powerful renewing of the Spirit that is going to lead you in a place that you could never go otherwise in the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. Lift your hands with me all over this place. When we started this three-week fast, Dad had us fast in negativity. My goodness, fast in negativity is no walk in the park. I had to repent several times for breaking my fast early. <laughs> what y'all laughing at? I know y'all did too. It's no walk in the park. It's, it's real easy to be attracted to negativity, and to speak negative. We need to counter gossip with encouragement. The three most influential people in my life outside of my family were all masters of encouragement. When I was at my lowest, they knew how to pick up my spirit. Brother Whittingham is one of those that's sitting here today Brother Morell Cornwell and Brother Wayne Nealon, those three men in my life, God put them in my life, and they have been masters of encouragement in my life and lifted me out of darkness many, many times, times when I didn't know what to do, I didn't have direction, and those men all had my pastor's blessing, by the way, to speak into my life. There is power in encouragement. If you want to influence some people, encourage them. Amen. Encourage them. I know I can go to them and they're not going to judge me, but they're going to love me. They're going to pray for me. They're not going to go and they're not going to share it with the world. Well, look what Brother Rhett's struggling with. No, they're going to say, Brother, I got your back and I'm praying with you right now. And God's going to see you through this. I remember one time... When I was at my lowest and I thought, God, what are you doing with my life? What is my future? And I was struggling with it. And I called Brother Nealon. And, and when I got off the phone with him, it felt like a thousand pounds were lifted off of my shoulders because he began to encourage me in the work of God and began to build faith and confidence in the things of God in my life. When we learn to encourage people, we gain trust. And then we build influence. But it has to be genuine. People can tell whenever it's fake. They can see right through it. They'll see right through it all day long. I remember it was several years ago I made a commitment that I was going to try to encourage someone either in the church or outside the church every day. 
I should still be doing this. I don't do it like I should. But I was trying to be intentional, Brother Jason, because everybody can encourage somebody. God started leading me to people that were discouraged. The moment I set my mind to do it, he started just leading me to people. And I knew this was the person. Because I believe when we get intentional about it, then God will start opening the doors. He'll start leading us. He'll start showing us. But we have to have our minds made up that we're going to do it. God wants to help us to encourage others. And when we do that, we're going to build trust in the body. John chapter 13, verse 35 says, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. we got to have love one to another. We've got to love our brothers and sisters. I know they're going to disappoint you. They've got their faults. They've got their struggles. But if they hurt you, forgive them. Let it go. Get rid of it out of your life. Forgiveness will kill you. Unforgiveness will kill you. Bitterness will kill you in your spirit. Let it go. Get over it. Move beyond it because God has a greater purpose. He has a greater plan. Come on, don't hold on to that stuff. Don't hold on to that junk. Get gossip out of your ears. Get that hate out of your ears and listen to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. Humility and vulnerability, we've got to have it. We've got to have humility. Humility can be trusted. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. We've got to have submission. We've got to have submission. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. That's something I often pray, God, I want to wear it like a garment on me. I want to be clothed with humility because I know there is no flesh that can glory in his presence. God, let me have that garment of humility, Jesus. I know I fell many, many times, God, but let me walk with the spirit of humility, Jesus, because you can bless that. For God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humility and vulnerability get the attention of God. Young person, if you want to get God's attention, find you a closet of prayer and humble yourself in his presence. You will get his attention every time. Hallelujah. I'm not real wild about foot washing service. I'm not real wild about it. But there's something about it every time. There's a spirit of humility that comes on you when you're doing that. And you can just feel the presence of God sweeping the room because it pleases him when we humble ourselves with one another. God, that pleases him. But it also gets the attention of others because the world doesn't have unity. The world doesn't have unity We've got to have unity in the church. We've got to have unity in the church. We can't be divided with one another. The devil will find a way to creep in and divide the body, but we've got to be with one mind like they were in the book of Acts. They were of one mind and one accord. They didn't just believe in one God, but they believed in being one. God wants us to be one. 
He wants us to think alike. He wants us to look at others the way that he sees them, to have the mind of the Spirit. Everywhere we go, we're showing love to one another, love to others, because the world, that will show them that we are his disciples. Hallelujah. Come on, lift your voice over this place right now. God, let us be willing to humble ourselves and be vulnerable with one another, God. Oh, let us take the veil off of our faces. Let us lay lay aside hypocrisy, God. Let us put away gossip, Jesus, and learn to love the way that you love Jesus. I appreciate talent, but I trust humility. I appreciate a good sermon, but I have confidence in transparency. I appreciate someone's gifting, but their vulnerability grabs my attention. Sister Miriam Rainwater, I asked her permission to share this, and I'm not going to share her testimony, the whole thing. I just want to use this as an example of being vulnerable In our all-night prayer meeting, she stayed through the whole night. And it was probably at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning. We had had a powerful breakthrough around 2 o'clock. But she came up here and she began to share her testimony. Stuff I'd never even heard. I had no idea of what she had gone through in her life. But she began to share this testimony and become vulnerable in the presence of God. It was so broken. And I felt something begin to flow out of her. A healing of wounds. Some of you have got wounds in your spirit. But until you become vulnerable in His presence, and you become open, There will be no healing of those wounds. I felt healing and I felt a lifting. And from the remainder of that prayer meeting, I felt almost like a a haze of his glory in this place. Just the peace of God began to fill the sanctuary because somebody got vulnerable in his presence and it attracted the peace of God here. Humility transparency, vulnerability. The Apostle Paul, he was so great, but he said, I, I was chief of sinners. I, I was chief of sinners. He lived to be transparent. He lived to be vulnerable. He knew he was weak. Hallelujah. The Lord led me to this chapter last night. Joel Chapter 2, I was really struggling trying to find what God wanted me to preach. I said, God, lead me somewhere. And this is where he led me. Joel chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, it says, Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil 
After they humbled themselves, Joel prophesies of an abundance that's coming to them. He speaks of restoration. And this is the word that I felt like the Lord put in my spirit last night. I felt God speak this to me. Healing is coming to this church. I'm not talking about healing just in the physical sense, but healing of wounds. And I'm not talking about just for this church, but a healing in this city. (laughs) The media, they try to create division. They try to create it left and right. But God's saying, church, be the church, be the church. Don't get focused on what the world is doing. Don't try to be like them. Come on, we've got to be one. There's a restoration that's coming. There's a river flowing that will heal the wounds of a fence that's buried deep in the souls of people. Restoration like it never happened. I remember one night when I was in prayer, and I went into intercession, and the, the Lord gave me a vision of someone. Showed me a picture of their face, and it was broken into many, many pieces. At first, the picture of their face was a look of sorrow, a look of depression, a look of oppression. There was so much agony, so much confusion, and then the picture broke into many pieces. And as I began to pray and press in the Spirit, the picture became Perfect was put right back together. Perfect. And the Lord showed me this person's face full of joy, unspeakable. Let me tell you something. God is getting ready to bring a revival of joy, but it's going to happen when the church becomes one. We get over our differences. We get over each other's faults and disappointments and failures. And we look at one another and we say, I love you, brother. I love you, sister. I'm behind you. There's got to be a culture of encouragement, a culture of humility, a culture of vulnerability. Come on. God doesn't expect you to have it all together. He doesn't expect you to be perfect, but he does expect you to be vulnerable. He does expect you to show humility. Come on, that's the only place where grace can find us, is a place of humility. It's a place of humility, and it's the key to influencing this world. The devil is filling the minds of people with questions, and it's killing the influence of the church But the key to influence right now is us being humble, us being vulnerable. Oh, Jesus. If you've got some against a brother or sister in the church, you got to get rid of that junk out of your spirit. Proverbs 18, verse 19 says, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions are like the bars of a castle. If you've got offense in your spirit, 
Oh, hear the word of the Lord. God wants to heal you tonight. If you've got wounds in your spirit, he wants to heal you tonight. Don't walk out of this place. I'm asking the musicians to come right now. Will you stand with me right now? Even God's word says it's tough. He said offenses are going to come. You can't avoid them. They're going to happen. They're going to come. People are going to disappoint you. People are going to hurt you. But we know that with God, all things are possible. Peter went from denying Christ to preaching on the day of Pentecost. He let Christ down. He let the one that was dying for him down. He denied him. But I love this. Acts chapter 2, verse 14 says, But Peter, standing up with the eleven, notice this, he wasn't just preaching, but the eleven were with him. They were with him. Hey, Peter, I know what you did, but I'm with you. Carson, I'm with you. Parker, I'm with you. I don't care. I don't care what you struggle with. Whatever you face, I'm behind you. We've got to learn to lift one another up. We've got to learn to build one another up. Come on, this world, is, it's too hard right now to fight battles by ourselves. We need each other. We need each other. We've got to have each other. <laughs> right now, if you're struggling right now, I invite you to these altars. I invite you to be vulnerable. It's not easy. It's not easy, but I promise you right now, there's going to be grace that's going to meet you. Come on, if you're struggling, maybe it is years of hurt that's been buried deep within your spirit, I invite you to come to these altars right now. Come on, I know there's some people here right now. God is wanting to heal you. He's wanting to heal your emotions, some things that you've just suppressed. You try to just push them aside. Oh, come on, find a place of humility with him. <laughs>